We think of history, you know, and it's that thing that happened to those other guys. So we can laugh about it. Wars, revolutions, slaughters, it's all so distant. But Milan Kundera says, in the unbearable lightness of being, if the French Revolution were to recur eternally, French historians would be less proud of Robespierre. But because they deal with something that will not return, the bloody years of the revolution have turned into mere words, theories, and discussions, have become lighter than feathers, frightening no one. There is an infinite difference between a Robespierre who occurs only once in history and a Robespierre who eternally returns, chopping off French heads. We only exist because a long chain of DNA leads from the past to us now. During the French Revolution, there were people who, if they had died, or if they'd never been born, we would not exist. Somewhere in the world, while the French Revolution was going on, was someone, and that someone's future was uncertain, and if that someone had been killed rather than been allowed to go free, then we would be dead ourselves now. The risk to us was real. We chanced our own fates in all those historical crises. I shall play Lancelot. Oh, I want to play Lancelot. You may be Eric. Fine. And I shall be... Why don't you be Percival, Eric's good buddy? Very well. I shall be Percival. We are now all knights of the round table. In fact, it took so many people to create each of us. Think about it. There was your mother, and her mother and father, and your mother's mother and father, and her father's mother and father, etc., etc., ad infinitum. So chances are there were more of us back then, more people being risked, the deaths of any of whom could have led to our own death and non-existence. All these fractured cells leading eventually to us. All these people who had to escape Spanish Inquisitions, rapes of Nanking, Mongol hordes, plagues, and French revolutions. Perhaps some of these people even perpetrated them. And I shall be the greatest knight of all. I shall quest, and my chivalry shall be greater than yours. I shall be King Arthur's favorite. I'll be Arthur's favorite. You'll just be Guinevere's favorite. In fact, think about it. All those ancestors, all those thousands, millions of ancestors, what's the one thing they never did that you could do right now? What's the one life they never lived that you could live right now? All of them had children if you choose not to have children, you live in a manner that none of your ancestors in all the few hundred thousand years of human history in millions of years of evolutionary history ever did. All your ancestors, all the people you are connected to, all had kids, and you could live differently. You could experience what those who share your DNA have never known. You could choose to opt out of history, to stop it with you by not having kids. Drop out of the chain. What a statement of independence and free will. What a way to claim your own destiny. No one in all your past ever did that. You could be the first. Let history die with me. This thread that has stretched for so long, I could just cut it. For me, it is not a choice. My gas is always expanding. And every 10,000 years, it reaches a critical mass. I asexually split and create a second being, much like myself, whether I want to or not. I am currently 9,000 years old. These are what they call the troublesome teens. I am not looking forward to parenthood. History is now. Everything that happened is happening to us now or in our DNA. And whether history stops or continues is up to each of us and the possibilities of the bodies we're given. What if you are a great human being who does something great? Millions of years of evolution lead to a Shakespeare, a kind of artistic perfection. Don't you then owe it to the world and to all those who have gone before you to have children? The efforts of your ancestors have created you. 
Through their work, some branch of evolution was perfected and a great artist was born. Don't such people then need to reproduce? It's only fair. Otherwise, that genetic achievement is lost. And it's not your achievement. It is the achievement of all those dead people. All that path of bones behind you trailing into the past like some ghoulish railroad track. Yes, or history could create a perfectly beautiful man. I owe it to my grandma to visit a sperm bank. Yes, Jim, you do. You do. Anyway, I got sidetracked thinking of the past, but that's because we're about to play a tabletop role-playing game set in the past. We're going to roll dice and play out the adventures of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. But isn't King Arthur a fictional character? Aren't his adventures fictionalized? I know, because I was watching your world through a long-distance telescope for several hundred years during the Dark and Middle Ages, and I did not see any Arthur. He is not from real history. Yes, you're right, disembodied alien intelligence. Arthur is from the chivalric romances of the 12th century. Ah, they knew how to live and love back then and to do deeds of arms. Not like the brutish men of today. It's a pity they were fictional and we don't share their DNA. Mmm, that's actually quite interesting, Jim, because the romances all looked back to an imaginary golden age. They imagined that their world was corrupt and the age of the past was when men were really men and women were really women. Love was true and heroes were heroes. The romances were themselves historical novels. When they wrote them in the 12th century, authors imagined a golden age of the past, but they clothed their heroes in 12th century garb. So now we look back on the 12th century as a golden age. This imaginary golden age is like a rainbow, always just out of reach. It's good, though. If it's not real history, I don't have to imagine that if I kill bandits, I will be killing people as real as today and wiping real people from the world. I can just hack those bandits willy-nilly with a clear conscience. Hack? Willy-nilly? What does this mean? It means I hack them from their willy all the way to their nilly. Yes, it is an imaginary past, much safer. It has Kundra's timelessness and Kundra's eternal return, but none of the weight or gravity such eternally present and eternally recurring history would imply. It's all fake, <laughs> a realm of fantasy. None of our ancestors struggled or died there, but perhaps some wrote these tales or tried to copy the fiction they idealized in their own lives. I hope my ancestor dressed up as an Arthurian knight and pretended to kill Arthurian enemies. That would be cool. If he was an aristocrat in medieval Western Europe, then he most probably did. Perhaps a man played at pretending to be Arthur in mock tournaments, the sort they had all the time back then, and perhaps he fell off his horse and died. And he never had kids, so his life stopped there. Fiction had shaped his life, fiction had changed his history by stopping it forever. Much safer with a 20-sided die. Okay, now my character is going to buy some armor in the game. Oh man, this armor is expensive. My character shall give yours the money he requires to purchase armor from his own starting funds. Thanks, okay, I have armor. Hey, you can't do that. You can't just give him all your money. His character is friends with my character. We are united in bonds of friendship. My character is big fun happy to do this. Wait, so Jim, you haven't introduced us properly to your new friend who apparently is playing with us today. Yeah, sorry, forgot he was there. This is my new boyfriend. Kim. Uh, yeah, Kim. That's right, brought him along to the game. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Kim. It is a pleasure to meet you, especially considering the fact that the ephemeral nature of human existence means that I will never meet the majority of humans now, in the past, in the future, or any time. I will meet so few of them before they expire. Greetings. Okay, well, I guess you can all head out on your first adventure. King Arthur tells you the giant Malbolge is attacking the kingdom. It said Malbolge may have the Holy Grail after ransacking a church many years ago. I need to have some adventure. 
I've been at home having sex with my hot wife so much that men accuse me of no longer favouring deeds of chivalry and instead preferring to stay in bed. I'd best get out there and risk my life and chop some heads to redeem myself. I accompany him. I lead the way, for I am the best. I am Lancelot. Questing out in the world, looking for the Holy Grail, cup of the Lord. We're following in the footsteps of Christ, that man who stepped out of history himself and yet who became a fundamental part of Western history. This is the life. We're like noble crusaders. Do you think the Crusades were ever just used back in the day as an excuse? What do you mean? Well... Hey, honey. Richard! I didn't know you were back from the crusade. Yeah, got back this morning. Really? You were only gone for two weeks? Yeah, it was, a sh- it was a short crusade. Oh, that's funny. Because I was just talking to Isabel, and she said her husband, Philip, your best friend, who left at the same time as you, didn't go on crusade at all. He'd just been to Amsterdam. Oh, no, I went on crusade. I don't know what Philip did. I'm not my brother's keeper. Oh, so you fought Saracens, quested to restore the tomb of our holy saviour in the sight of Calvary to the universal Christian church, had all your sins forgiven, things like that? You didn't just... Go to the red-light district of Amsterdam, drink too much lager, smoke glass bee drugs and visit prostitutes? No, I crusaded. Yep. Walked there really quickly, got there really fast, did what I had to do, you know. There were lots of people slacking off there. And then I came straight back. So you didn't vomit all over the window of the street-side cold girl like Philip and then go into her door anyway and then get arrested for not having enough cash to even clean the window, let alone pay for the hand job you'd just gotten? No, no, none of that. Recapture Jerusalem, did you? Oh, well, funny thing, see. I mean, we got there, and, I mean, we did capture it from Saladin-like, but then it was like the King of Jerusalem, yeah, he, he personally asked me to defend it, like, to be in charge of the defences because I'd been, like, the best knight there on the walls and stuff, I, and I kicked, like, uh, I kicked Saladin's son, like, like right off the walls and onto a camel. But I said, hey, buddy, no, you know, it sounds really nice looking after the holy city and stuff, but... I miss my wife. I'd better go back right now and say hello to her. So I, I, I prayed at the Holy Sepulchre. And I prayed for you. And I prayed for your mum too. Because she has that septic ulcer. And I know how you worry. And I came back here. Maybe, maybe Saladin captured it back after. I don't know. Who can say? But the Holy City looked fine when I left it. Uh-huh. And you didn't stop in Amsterdam at all then? No, no. Look, I'm just... Amsterdam just doesn't appeal, you know. Why would you go there except to go to the red light district? (laughs) And you know, I'm just not that kind of bloke. Oh, I'm sorry for doubting you. I'm glad God has brought you back to me safe and sound. I'm very lucky. Not like Isabel and her deadbeat husband. Now that you're finally back home, it's just you and me. Shall I do that thing you like? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, just, uh, my cock's a bit green, but that's only because I got bit by a camel. This is Lance Henderson, and I hate the role-playing hour, and I can sometimes be quite scary. So you should listen to me. No bullshit. I love to curse. You're in the strange forest, the deep, dark wood. The evil count's fortress is ahead. We sneak in. You walk in the front gate, but a giant blade falls from above. (laughs) Make a dodge check. Dodge. Dodge. My horse charges forward. I barely dodge, but my horse doesn't. Disembodied alien intelligence, your character Lancelot is so close to danger that the spurs on his heels are cut off and your horse is cut right in half. 
but you yourself escape unharmed. Heels are a petty human weakness anyway, and back halves are a petty horse weakness. What is inside the evil count's fortress? You see he has women imprisoned. The women have to sew embroideries all day. They're badly fed and their fingers are sorely pricked. The color is gone from their cheeks and they groan under the weight of their work. It's like a sweatshop for Bayou Tapestries instead of Nikes. The evil count bursts in. You gave tribute to Malbolge the giant a few days ago. Don't deny us. He passed through the land. Tell us where he is. The evil count says, You will never find the giant, for you will soon be dead. I attack his frail mortal form. Double damage. You cut the count in twain, he says, Ow, my twain! And then he also says, Ah, you have defeated me. My name was Stanley. Then he expires. We free the ladies, ransack the castle, and steal everything of value not nailed down. The treasure will be divided in thirds. Yes, thirds, of course. Okay, you loot the place and free the babes. One of them says she saw the giant go west along the king's highway. Soon you're gathered out on the road with hard-earned mules laden with hard-won hard treasure. <clears throat> Did the ladies swoon when they saw me? Of course they swooned, and their hearts palpitated, and their hands are clammy. They head back to King Arthur's court where they say they will wait for you and willingly serve your noble ladies, Lancelot and Eric, when you get some. Cool. Preemptive handmaidens. My character gives his treasure to Jim because Jim needs it. Ah, oh, thank you, Kim. Hey, you can't do that. That is not fair. We received a third each. Kim just loves me so much. He's so great. I enjoy giving treasure to Jim. I want to do it. Jim needs the treasure. You guys aren't having a quarrel or anything, are you, Kim and Jim, in real life? You know, Kim, you don't have to make up for real-life relationship spats with in-game gifts. The two realities should be separate. Kim and I aren't fighting. Why would you think we were fighting? Well, body language. You never make eye contact. You always look away from each other. You sit quite far apart and never have any physical contact. That is unusual. Most humans demonstrate affection by physical closeness that enables the mutual transmission of bacteria. No, we just don't want to gross you guys out, you know. We know how annoying it is when a new couple is just all over each other. Those couples have no class. Me and Kim, we're classy. But the in-game treasure sharing, it has no in-world explanation. It's just... Largesse and generosity were one of the most important traits of a knight and a medieval ruler. Look at the romances or Geoffroy de Chani's A Knight's Own Book of Chivalry. It's a guide written for fellow knights, and it goes on and on about how true chivalrous knights should demonstrate largesse. I am demonstrating largesse. That's why I give treasure to Tim. Jim. Jim. I see. If I had a human face, I would twist my antennae suspiciously. From the wood emerges a woman who you recognize as Queen Guinevere. She looks at you, Lancelot. I look back with my nostrils. Mortals look with their eyes. <laughs> Disembodied alien intelligence. Oh, of course, my mistake. Role-playing is hard. I look back with my eyes. Guinevere gives you a meaningful look with their nostrils. With their eyes, with their eyes, Lancelot. She says, Kiss my foot, brave knight. Debase yourself. Debase myself? Debase yourself. Well, I, I, I don't know if 
Uh, very well. I shall debase myself. How dare you hesitate? You have been commanded by a noble lady. You're not a worthy knight. You do not bring honor to the realm. You should be ashamed. Yes, of course. I must redeem myself. I will debase myself better next time. Your hesitation shows you do not love me. My character feels awkward. Guinevere is the king's wife. Should I really be watching this? It's like when I was at that party and I walked in on Clutterbuck's mum kissing the bass player of that jazz funk bang. Still intense, right? Debasement. Women and men knew how to love back in the Middle Ages, but noble ladies should stick to noble deeds, right? Hmm. Guinevere is an anomaly in a way because she's like the only... She's the one we remember because she's the only one who isn't chaste. All the other women kind of fit into their place the way they're supposed to. And even Guinevere's chasteness or lack of chaste chastity is kind of like the knightly fantasy that he'll be so good at deeds of arms that even the queen won't be able to resist him. But most of the time, people know where they're supposed to be, and women do what they're supposed to do, don't they? Tom Henthorne, in his essay, Boys to Men, Medievalism and Masculinity in Star Wars and E.T. the Extraterrestrial, published in the book, The Medieval Hero and Screen Representations from Beowulf to Buffy, notes... This is Tom speaking. To an extent, the neo-medievalism in mid to late 20th century America can be understood as a reaction to the social transformations that followed World War II, particularly those related to gender. At a time when traditional values were increasingly under attack, this new medievalism tended to affirm the existing social order by idealizing the Middle Ages as a period of peace and order when both conventions and authority were respected. It also promoted supposedly chivalric values, faith, loyalty, courage, and, for women at least, chastity, by reducing complex medieval narratives, such as those of Chrétien de Troyes and Robert de Boron, to simpler tales about knights in shining armor and damsels in distress. Not every neo-medieval work was set in the Middle Ages, of course. By the 70s and 80s, one could read about alternative medieval worlds in fantasy novels, such as The Chronicles of Amber. They could joust with others atop flying ostriches at the local video arcade and see Indiana Jones' quest after the Holy Grail in the theater. Mr. Tom Henthorne says that this peaked in films such as Star Wars... Neo-medievalism and neoconservatism were both reactions to the supposed excesses of the late 60s and early 70s, particularly those associated with the feminist and other liberation movements. <clears throat> In short, modern neo-medievalism demonstrates the Middle Ages is seen as a safe ground, a golden age one can look back to where conservative values are allowed to rule, and feminism, multiculturalism, and other movements that offer a plurality of views are suppressed or safely contained. No, I like feminists. I just like to relax by playing games like this and imagining a world where none of them exist. It is not history, though, this game. None of your DNA was affected. None of your progenitors were involved. So if we fantasize about oppressing people in a world that never existed and had no impact on real people, it is fine. It might have an impact on people now. Chicks ain't here, man. Chicks ain't here. Guinevere and all those handmaidens were basically you, right? You're running this game. You're playing them. I'm not imagining a world where women know their place. I'm imagining a world where you know your place. I wonder if most people of the Middle Ages had PTSD. Just imagine, people are starving, there are plagues, people are getting hanged, whipped, having hands cut off, and this all happens publicly so you can go and watch. Wars and raids happen a lot, villages get burned down, the body parts of criminals are left to rot in public, drawing and quartering... And one-eight thing. Imagine living in that world, seeing that stuff from time to time. 
families having seen that stuff, mothers and fathers, and that goes down the generations. Probably a lot of people had what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. And I bet there are all sorts of other psychological complexes as a result. Like all these chivalric romances with people debasing themselves. Is it any surprise there would be sadomasochists in the Middle Ages when all that violence and suffering is happening to you, to people you know, to people you love? The romances are kinky, I like it. Queen Guinevere and the Gimp. Chivalrous behaviour comes from hurt-me-hurt-me behaviour. Disembodied alien intelligence. One of your mules collapses under the weight of its treasure. Hmm. Do you have any mules left, Kim? Or any treasure with which I may buy a mule? I know you like to demonstrate largesse. I gave it to Jim. Jim needs all the mules. Ah, thank you, darling. My name is Freddie Williams II, and I hate the role-playing hour because they turned me into a juvenile delinquent. Imagine being alive, as some of your DNA was, during the Mongol invasions. Between 1207 and 1472, the Mongols killed an estimated 40 million people. 40 million? That's nothing. World War II killed 63 million. I saw it through my space telescope. It was horrible. But then I watched with some rousing music playing and it made me want to start a war on my own planet. Yeah, but the world population then was 2.3 billion. World War II only killed 3% of all the people on Earth. In the year 1200, the population was 400 million. In 1300, it was probably 430 million. But in 1400, it was probably less, maybe 374 million. So let's take the high water mark. The Mongols killed something like 10% of the entire population of the world. One in ten people. And, you know, if you're in North and South America, then you're safe. Those people, not one in ten of those, they're fine. So if you're anywhere the Mongols could reach, there's a good chance that more than one out of ten of the people you know are going to die. Poor bastards getting Mongoled. I didn't watch through a space telescope at that time. There was a really interesting reality cooking contest happening on Rigel 7. And think of you. Think of your ancestors there at the time of the Mongols. How long is a generation? I told you, ten millennia, almost an ice age. Twenty years? I think it's twenty years for humans. Okay, let's be generous and say twenty-five. So, think, there is you, then one generation back, there's your mom and your dad, two people before you, then one more generation back, your grandmas and grandpas, four people, then another generation back, eight people. How many generations ago was the year 1200? Mm, about 32. Wow, ni nice math skills, dude. All disembodied gaseous life forms are good at maths. We are jealous of people with toes, so we count how many toes we would like to have. Okay, so 32. We'll round to 30. So, back at the dawn of the Mongol invasions, that means Jim has how many living ancestors? Jesus, maths is hard! So 30 generations, doubling each time. 536,870,912. Okay, so that's more direct ancestors than there is the entire population of the Earth at that time. I must have done something wrong. I suppose some of those doubled up when people married cousins or something. Hey, this ain't Iceland. You are not wrong, DM. In studying inefficient human biology, I have come to understand what is known as pedigree collapse. People did commonly marry cousins and such in the past, meaning that the number of direct ancestors was fewer than might be expected through a standard binary family tree. In fact, any standard binary tree model falls to pieces by the time one reaches as far back as 1200 because the number of possible relatives exceeds the world population at the time. Wait, so how does pedigree collapse work? 
The maximum pedigree collapse possible is one primitive biological generation is 50%. That is, if everyone marries their brother or sister. Ugh. Ugh. Although it explains to you. Still, ugh. Hey, what? Okay, so Middle Ages, there would have been some pedigree collapse down the line. Probably a lot of pedigree collapse from all that cousin Marion. If someone marries their cousin, they have six grandparents instead of eight. Okay, so let's assume every one of Jim's relatives was marrying their cousin from, uh, I don't know, about his great-great-grandparents' generation, about 1875. Hey! What minimum number do we get then for 1200, assuming maximum and consistent cousin marrying for 25 generations? 311,072. But that is only marrying cousins every generation. And it means that in the year 1200, 103,690 cousins married each other. My cousins didn't marry each other every generation. It is statistically unlikely. Look, just say all the cousins married every other generation. Okay, but say old Jim's great-great-grandparents are brother and sister. Very well. If Jim's cousins married every other generation, and if his great-great-grandparents were all brother and sister, then in the year 1200, he would have approximately 8,503,056 living relatives. Whoa, that's still huge. There must have been a, a lot of cousin marrying going on. Maybe I am from Iceland. That number sounds plausible. So, during the Mongol invasions, Jim was related to between... 2% and 100% of the world's population. Wow. Think about it. Jim could have been related to everyone alive then, in theory. All of them his direct ancestors. All those Mongols doing the killing, all those people getting killed. But even if not, it's likely there were 8.5 million of Jim's direct ancestors walking around. If any one of them had died before having kids, Jim wouldn't be here. That's how tenuous history is. That's how dangerous the Mongol invasions were. Some theories suggest that no one on Earth now is more than one fiftieth cousin from anyone else. You are all related to some degree. Wow, Jim. Hey, cuz. The New Zealanders were right. Hey, cuz. <sighs> Just think there's probably some dude or lady back then, and if he or she had died before having kids, neither you or me would be here. Well, of course, mitochondrial Eve from 200,000 years ago. There are genetic bottlenecks. Mitochondrial Eve was one of those bottlenecks. Everyone living on the planet today is descended from her. If she had died, none of us would have been here. Yes, I watched mitochondrial Eve through my space telescope. She was a slut. Don't you say that about mitochondrial Eve! Yeah, how dare you insult that proud woman. She brought us all up. My 7,996th great-grandmother was a fine lady. Her kids were goers. Yeah, her kids were total slattens. My 7,995th great-grandmas and grandpas. You don't even want to know what those guys got up to. (coughs) Pedigree collapse. Pedigree collapse. They must have had a lot of tequila back then. One tequila. Two tequila. Pedigree Pedigree collapse. collapse. Hang on, disembodied alien intelligence. I thought you were less than 10,000 years old. Mitochondrial Eve is 200,000 years old. How did you spy on her through your space telescope? I hid behind some bushes in the UDFJ39546284 galaxy. The light takes a really long time to get back there so you can have a good perv. Then I jumped ahead to closer galaxies when I wanted to watch more recent events. If you go to the Mu Ara star system right now, you can watch some hot action between Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. So wow, those damn Mongols. If any of them had killed one more person before that person had a chance to start a family of their own, there's a chance I wouldn't be here. There's no such thing as Kundera's lightness of being, is there? History is a place of peril, of danger, and we still feel the relief of countless narrow escapes in our genetic code. Each strand of DNA must just be wiping its brow with the base pair and going, phew. Hey, so you and Kim are 150th cousins, or even closer, 
And you presumably kissed. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably. Presumably, I feel ashamed now. So, Mongol Times report probably something like... Dear husband Jim, Genghis Khan and his Mongols are coming to sack our great city of Yanjing. Please take our baby, DM Jr., into the woods. No, DM, my dear wife. I cannot leave you behind. You must do it for DM Jr. Wow, wow. Hello, I am Jim, a city guard. Even I am fleeing, Jim. If you want to save your son, you must flee too. Well, if Jim says we must flee, and I guess I should do it for my daughter, Jim. Oh, Jim... Even though you're my cousin, I'm so glad I married you. Dudes, watch out! The Mongols are running through the streets! Who's that guy? Ugh, I'm slain! Don't worry, he wasn't important. He didn't have any kids. Run, Jim, run! Goodbye, DM Jr. Goodbye, baby Jim! Wah, wah. I love you, Mummy. Very well, into the woods we go. <clears throat> Aha, I am a Mongol. I'm a Mongol. Mongol, Mongol, Mongol. And I'm destroying your city. Here's a building. Mongol. <laughs> Die. No, no, please. Ha ha ha, Mongol. Ah, uh, it's a good day to be a Mongol, isn't it, Mongol DM? Yes, it sure is, Mongol Jim. Hey, want to get married? Heck, we're cousins. Of course we're getting married. Oh, can someone find a Mongol so we can get married? Mongol! Barbaric times. Barbaric times. Sorry, I don't know what happened to that skit. <laughs> anyway, listeners, you're related to us. Yep. Call in and let's have a family reunion. The number to dial is 83135000. Or if you're like a typical embarrassing and uncommunicative family member, write in on our Facebook wall and pretend it's interacting. Just look for The Role Playing Hour on Facebook. That's R-O-L-E. So, facebook.com slash The Role Playing Hour. You're listening to Jim, the disembodied alien intelligence, and the DM here on The Role Playing Hour on Radio Adelaide, digital radio, online, and 101.5 FM. Our old episodes are available as podcasts on our WordPress page. There are hundreds of episodes up there with all the songs and mistakes taken out. The address is theroleplayinghour.wordpress.com. But right now, call in on 83135000 or write us a message on our Facebook page and let's have a family reunion. Because <laughs> if you look far enough back in history and if you have a glance at our genetic code, we're all <laughs> related. <laughs> <gasps> We're even related to Corin Nemec. This is Corin Nemec, and I hate the role-playing hour because they're too lowbrow. For real comedy, look for my web series Starving. You may particularly enjoy the episode where David Faustino and I kill Gilbert Godfrey's retarded son. So Jim was happy we played that last song, Slim Dusty, because it's Jim's favorite music, as we established earlier. <clears throat> Okay, well, uh, we better get through the uh, housekeeping first. So, this is the last chance to win the best prize we've ever seen at Radio Adelaide um, in all our nine years of being here. Uh, it, you know, if you subscribe, you go into the draw to win a prize. And, frankly, there aren't a huge number of subscribers. There aren't a huge number of lifetime subscribers. Your odds are not bad. They're a lot better than the lottery. I don't know exactly what they are, but they're really not that bad. Right. I, I saw a, on a sign out there saying, I think there was about 10 so far for the, the year. Mm. Now that we can't 
you know, don't quote us on that. We don't know. But And I think the lifetimers get to go every time. Yeah, they do. But there's that's still, you know, you've got better than one in a hundred chance, I assume. I don't know. Better than the lottery. Yeah. So to subscribe, it's $52 a year or $26 concession. You just dial 83135000 during business hours. Or you come into the station or you look at the website, Google Radio Adelaide. Uh, look for the details on how to subscribe. You support community radio, which is an, a reward enough in itself. And you get um uh, a little magazine sent out to you and things like that. But you'll also go into the draw to win a golden ticket to the Adelaide Festival. Double passes to the Adelaide Festival shows of your choice. Any show you want, you just go to it with your friend. Ooh. So uh, if, if you're trying to woo a lady, you could woo her pretty good with a lot, all those festival shows. Uh, valued it up to five grand. So that's pretty good, pretty good. So you can support community radio, which is sometimes artistic, and then you get to see a lot of art, and you're just a big fat art. So, that's one thing to think about. Another thing to think about is where you approach March Giver as we have to, we've called March March Giver because is it Comic-Con? I'm getting confused with the yes. names of these things. Comic-Con, Oz Comic-Con is coming March, I think 15th and 16th or 16th and 17th. Anyway, one of those days at the Wave of Showgrounds Comic Convention uh, so a lot of things, a lot of stalls and things there you can cosplay and do stuff like that but Richard Dean Anderson Famous for MacGyver will be there. <gasps> William Shatner. Captain <gasps> Kirk will be there. Jason Momoa, who was that Dothraki guy in Game of Thrones, will be there. He was Conan. Carl Drogo. Yeah, that guy. And uh, a whole lot of other people. There's a whole bunch of Klingons from Star Trek coming. Gowron. So, you know, and there are a lot of Ooh. comics artists. You can get original comic art. You just walk up to them and you say, here's a bunch of money. It's not that much, like. I think we paid $80 for our specific role-playing hour picture. The picture on our website was done by Freddie Williams II, Freddie E. Williams II. And so he just did, we just said, draw us this, and he draw us a nerd, and he drew us a nerd. You can go up and you can say, draw Batman, draw me as a superhero, draw something, and they'll do it for you. They'll do it for you, and you can keep it. It's original art. So that's all this interesting stuff. Uh, now, no one has written on the wall, as I understand it. Is that um, true? Let me check again, just to be sure. There was one mortal human complaining about inadequate warning before the show started. Yes, it was a hectic day. We didn't get to do the countdown like we normally do, but uh, yes. Okay, well, we've got a lot to get through still, so I guess we'll head on. Do either of you guys have anything pertinent to say? Mongol. Mongol. This is John Reese davis I hate the role-playing hour because they tossed a dwarf. My character, Lancelot, continues to do deeds of chivalry to prove his love to Guinevere, and to make up for not debasing himself. My character has killed three evil counts, five twisted dwarves, a dragon, five lions, and an angry dog. I think I've already proved to everyone that I'm still capable of deeds of arms, and that I don't only like staying in bed with my new wife all day, but still I follow Lancelot and I get my share of the treasure when he kills things. And I give my share of treasure to Jim PJ Jam's character. Thank you, Kim. We still seek the Holy Grail, and the giant Melbolge is close. So much reckless killing. So many bodies in your wake. You come to a crossroads and a knight is there. You can't see his face under his helmet. I challenge him to mortal one-on-one -on -one combat. I challenge him to sloppy seconds mortal one-on-one -on -one combat. But he could be a good guy. He could be one of your best friends. Knights always challenge other knights. It's how we roll, DM. I'm sure he'll tell me his name after he wins or loses. But why do you have to fight everyone? To prove to the world that we're valiant and brave. That we're leaders. 
by being petulant, violent, and prone to irrational mood swings, <clears throat> a hermit comes into the clearing. I am a holy man, he says. In the name of God, please do not shed each other's blood. I'm sorry, but though holy men are good and all, we knights know what we're doing. Holy men pray all day and get up to pray all night. They fast when they would eat. They always think of God. But who must think of God more than the knight who could die on the battlefield at any time, and so must always have a clear conscience? While the monk prays in comfort and safety, the knight roams the world, sleeping in the open, when he can sleep at all in the cold and the weather. When the monk wants to stop fasting, they can. But sometimes knights must go without food, even when they need all their strength. The knight suffers more for God and must have God in his heart at all times. Sometimes he must be for days on end, in danger of death at any moment. Truly, then, he is nearer to God than the monk. Though, I suppose, as monks serve God alone, perhaps monks are slightly greater than knights in their piety. Or equal. Probably equal. Yeah, and this is the 12th century, right? Who took Jerusalem in the crusade? Who did God allow to conquer the holy city? Who did God show his grace and approval to? It wasn't priests who captured Jerusalem. It was lay knights. God loves us. He let us have Jerusalem, and that proves that we're great. Yes, so we will not listen to any hermits. We will do what we want. We know what is right and what is moral because we are close to God. When we are successful in deeds of arms, God is showing his approval of us through our victories. So, petulant, irrational, violent, prone to mood swings, and utterly convinced of your own moral superiority. And convinced that you have the right to inflict your self-imposed idea of morality on those around you. <laughs> so much death and pain. We have to prove ourselves to the world, DM. We have to prove to the world that we are men. And that we are gaseous clouds. We have to prove to the world that we are gaseous clouds. And this is the ideal man? This is what men have been taught is chivalrous and gentlemanly? What men think they should aspire to? It hasn't changed, has it? Batman is the same. He's just another caped crusader with a so-called moral code enacted through violence, convinced that might makes right. He teaches right and wrong through his fists and doesn't listen to anyone else's ideas about justice. This is what we in the West have taught our boys and men it is admirable to be for the last thousand years. Double damage. I kill the unknown knight. My name was Gawain. Knight of the Round Table, he mutters before he dies. Ah, well, he should have told us. Too prideful. I tell him what my name is as he dies. We divide up the treasure. I give my share to Jim. Thanks, Kim. So much violence and death. But this isn't history, DM. None of these knights were our cousins or ancestors. We just killed our imaginary friend. These characters don't develop. They don't pass on their genes in a snaking, eternally transforming strand of DNA that coils down through time. They are static. They aren't real. It doesn't matter what we do to them or how we idolize them or how we interact with their world. Here is Kundura's lightness. Isn't it nice? Don't you feel free and unburdened? I look for another knight to kill. Me too. People have still listened to these ideals down the ages. The generations might have changed, but these eternal and unchanging figures have always been just as empty, but also just as dangerous. To our relatives in the past, they were dangerous, and to any descendants we choose to have now, no doubt they'll be dangerous too. Just stories, static characters. Ideals. Just shallow stock figures. I'm not going to kill my great-great-grandfather here. How many potential great-great-grandfathers never got to be so because they tried to live up to the idea of... The ideal man. What are knights but egotistical loners trying to make themselves better than everyone else at the expense of those around them, and sometimes themselves? And superheroes are the same. These errant knights, these heroic vigilantes, these manly loners. That's one idea. And then, you know, there is real history, where we're all brothers. 
We're all related. We all share the world, and our fates all interconnect. Those of the past shape our lives and pass down to us what they had, what they held on to after all the risks they endured, risks our other relatives inflicted upon them. There is this violent, unchanging loner who repays suffering with suffering on one hand, or then, in reality, there is this great living web of the human family, where the great truth that links us together is a sense of compassion. Real men should be compassionate, no? That's the real truth, isn't it? All of us here together, real men shouldn't inflict suffering and only think of their egos. You know, inflicting suffering on others to make themselves match up to an ideal. The violent man, you know, the man who inflicts suffering, no wonder he is static. Lancelot Batman, static and unchanging forever. He's like those men who got themselves killed before having kids. Those who stood selfishly and refused to be a part of history. They allowed history to stop. There is a violent man, the static man, like a dam in the flow of history, clogging it all up. And the rest of us, we're all cousins. And we should feel compassion for one another. Do we find the Holy Grail yet? Oh, yes. You see the giant Malbulge walking down the road. I kill him. Double damage. He is dead. Okay, you get the Holy Grail. I give it to Jim. Yes. That's not fair. I desire the Holy Grail. Of course you do, disembodied alien intelligence. Everyone wants the Holy Grail. That's why it's the Holy Grail. It is not fair. Why would Kim... Hey, my extrasensory perception just detected Jim handing Kim some money under the table. What? Why? What's going on, Jim? Ugh, fine. Kim isn't my boyfriend. He's just some guy I hired. He's a Korean gold farmer. A what? You know, like in World of Warcraft, these guys farm in-game gold and then sell it to players for real-world money. I thought, hey, I could use that in my tabletop role-playing game too. So I've been paying him to play so he would... Give me all the treasure he found and I would get more treasure. He's been gold farming. Ah, oh, you dirty gold farmer! It is true. My name is Kim Choi Puck and I am a gold farmer. Jim, I'm shocked. Jim, this is detestable. Yeah, but look, don't get angry at him. He's your cousin, probably less than 150th removed, right? We're all family. Hey, hey, that's right. There is no lightness of being. Not as the characters in Kundra's novel hoped. There is a beautiful... Heaviness. A heaviness that means we are all family. And thank God for the heaviness. The things lightness would make us do, would allow us to do. I love the heaviness. Our connection to history. Our connection to each other. We're all cousins. We're all family. Come here, cousin. Come here for a hug. We all shared a relative back in the day. Aw, hug. DM. Come here, Kim. Come on. Come here for a hug. Thank you, cousin. I am delighted to be with my family. I, uh, I... You're an alien, disembodied alien intelligence. You're not one of us. You're not one of the family. You are an outsider. I... Oh. No, disembodied alien intelligence, we can adopt you. Yes, you can be our adopted family. We couldn't say no to you. Come on! Come on! Come on! Give us a hug, too, cousin! Yeah, get in on this hug. Oh, you all make me feel so warm and safe. I used to be a disembodied alien intelligence, but now I am a disembodied alien gratefulness. I am a disembodied alien filial fondness. I am a disembodied alien saccharine sweetness with sugared candy and ponies and gifts for all the children. <laughs>